This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's political and everything beyond on Beyond Politics. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Wednesday. Matt and Brett here today. Uh, Jeff Stein joining us here in just a few moments. We'll talk about what it's like to get devalued. <laughs> Hi, Brett. How are we today? Hi, I'm all right. I uh, There was a nice little tool that the Washington Post came up that lets you determine your home's home value if you used Trump numbers. Oh, does it? Washington Post? Okay, I got I got that on my phone. I'm going to go do it during the break, okay? I'll tell everyone. Yeah, your home is worth $6.8 million. Million dollars. Oh, God. Last night, the A's are in town. God bless them. Uh, you know, the soon-to-be Las Vegas A's. So I'm sitting there, and I get home, and I'm, I'm starting to put the show up and post the show up on the social media pages and stuff. And I've got baseball notifications on my phone. And dang. <laughs> Run walked in in the first inning. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> ding. Walner Grand Slam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oakland. I mean, it just it does. They do they have a sad trombone everywhere they go. Ugh. Yeah, they should. That's a terrible situation for it. With uh, how many years are they going to have to play under the argument that there's no one that 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 team's going to be leaving? They're going because they're not going to be able to move to Vegas soon. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be about a three or four year build on the new Vegas baseball park. Yeah. So they're going to have to play in Oakland. Hey guys, come on out. Yeah. That no one. No one's going to be at those games. Yeah, and why would ownership invest any money in the team anyway? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's, that's a bad situation. But, you know, hey, this is that. Well, I want to point this out. That's what happens today when you're a, a community and you say, no, we're just not going to give you, you know, $4 billion to build a, a, a facility to a billionaire. Well, eventually, they, well, we'll just move someplace else. And that's how they reward the fans. And that's just how they do it. And so, yeah, it's that's that's your cost of sports right there. Joy, 952-946-6205, Speaking of crime, uh, we have, we'll start the show off today with the crime report. Uh, and, and we got an update on the theft of the popular food truck, uh, the egg roll queen. And by the way, how dare you, how dare you violate the egg roll queen? A Woodbury man is charged with theft after prosecutors say he stole a backpack containing thousands of dollars in cash from a popular food truck and neighborhood pillar. Prosecutors say surveillance video led police to 18-year-old <clears throat> Frank Gums Jr. What is he at night? It's like a 1930s mobster. <laughs> yes. A known associate of Teddy Moller's. <laughs> That's like a Dick Tracy gang. Exactly. <laughs> Hey Teddy! Hey Teddy Mullers! Hey, hey, uh, hey it's it's uh, Jimmy the Incisors over there, you know. And where's the tongue? 
Well, I mean, that's, yeah. All right. We, that's the eternal question, isn't it? Uh, Frank Gums Jr., who's now charged with... That's the car criminal name. Sorry, sorry, I'm gonna have a hard time with this one. Frank Gums. Frank Gums. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happened? I really sir. Sorry. Oh, uh, and it's a junior too, by the way. So dad's proud. Uh yes. He's now charged with felony theft for allegedly stealing between twenty and $30,000 from Mae Vang, known by many as the Egg Roll Queen, and may I worship you, for her, uh, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, for her popular army of food trucks and her pension for helping neighbors in need. Besides the cash, court documents say there was also jewelry, electronics, and checks in the backpack that was stolen. It, oh, they actually have this broken down pretty intently here on what exactly, the, the bust as it happened. It all started September 13th when police were dispatched to a food truck parked in South St. Paul. The owner, who shared her story with Kara Levin, was identified as Mai Vang. She says her sister-in-law was running the truck when a man opened the driver's door of the food truck, grabbed her backpack, which contained a large amount of money and other valuables. Responding officers obtained surveillance video from businesses near the park truck and were able to learn the license plate of a suspect vehicle and saw a male suspect with a female sitting in the passenger seat. Okay, so we got to the car. Investigators eventually spoke to a witness who identified the suspect as Frank Johnson. I would go with I would go with Johnson too. I mean, Frankie Gums is just yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. He said he had taken her red SUV that subsequently was used in the crime. So basically, knowing he was going to commit a crime, it sounds like Frankie Gums here basically borrowed someone else's car so that that car would be the one that was seen, but didn't apparently understand how cameras work and that he would be seen in said car. She said she would frankly contact Frankie, Frankie Gums via FaceTime to get her truck back, and during one conversation, he showed her two green bags with a large amount of cash and checks belonging to the food truck. Genius. This is, once again, told to the police. Court document, because I, I can tell you right now, you, you borrow my car and then you use it in a crime. Yeah, all bets are off on that point. Court documents say the truck was eventually located by police at a Bloomington hotel where staff said a room had been rented out to Frankie Gums. And they actually used Frankie Gums as the name. Officers obtained a warrant and searched the room, but it was empty. Can't do that joke. Uh, police obtained a phone number for the suspect and traced it to a motel in St. Paul. There they found Frankie Gums and his alleged female accomplice, Susie Chomps. Sorry. It would be spectacular if her name was actually Susie Chomps. She's got to have a name like if you're dating Frankie Grimes. It's, like it's, like a- it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's, Imagine a BBC crime drama, only the criminals are the point of focus. It's chomps and gums. It's <laughs> a buddy cop. Well, I mean, it was BBC. It'd be like a dentist's office where there's unrequited love. That's what it's like. Hello, Mrs. Chomps. Um, so they, they basically, they found these two who tried to escape through a window. Good thinking. Both were taken into custody. 
When questioned, the alleged accomplice told investigators she and Frankie Gums were in South St. Paul on September 13th when they saw the food truck, bought something to eat, and went back to the car. She said she she said she said told Gums not to do it and insti- insisted she didn't know where the money went. Although she's with him in these hotel rooms. Detectives then spoke with the defendant, who denied stealing from the food truck, even when presented with surveillance video showing him stealing from the food truck. Oh, classic gums. It's a place to go, right? Did I get that right? But he couldn't be Frankie Gums anymore if he, <laughs> if he actually went to show. It'd be Johnny Smiles. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. What was the toothpaste they used in Arrested Development? Gleam? Was, it was a gleam that kept was the running gag on that show. Oh, gosh. His teeth. All oh, those teeth, man. Frankie Gums, if you do need dental work, Shamblot Family Dentistry. Well, in a few years. 952-946-6205. Here's the other update we have in the crime report. You, so did you see the story? They accidentally released that one guy from Minnesota in Indiana. They released him wrongly. They, they Apparently... In a in, like an, in a segment from the movie Idiocracy, where it's like I was supposed to be let go, or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was supposed to be, or not that Monty Python and the Life of Brian. I'm supposed to be let go. Are you? Oh, okay. Well, all my best. No, just joking. I'm I'm supposed to be crucified today. <laughs> U.S. Marshal Service says Kevin Mason, a homicide suspect from Minnesota, that was mistakenly released from custody in Indiana. Oopsies has been located and taken back into custody. Mason was located and apprehended around 1 p.m. in St. Paul on Wednesday. I would like to extend my sincere gratitude and congratulations to the USMS for concluding this manhunt and safely bringing Mason back into custody. Marion County Sheriff Kerry Forstall said in a press release, I guess Forstall is the, um, this is the Marion County in Indiana. Our federal partners have kept us informed throughout the entire process. We are truly thankful for their assistance and wide resources, most specifically the task force partnerships with local law enforcement agencies that have allowed him to pursue Kevin Mason throughout the country. The Mar- Well, don't act like, okay, so wait a second here. Can you, can you really charge this guy with more crimes and keep him here? Because once again, he just gets a call one day and say, oh, you're being released. What? I am? Okay. It's not the prisoner's responsibility to make sure the jailers are releasing him on the right day. You know, you just, okay, I'm supposed to go. He gets released. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, it's, it, I don't get really the impression this guy was on the lam like that guy in uh, Pennsylvania who Spider-Manned up the wall. You know, that it, it was running through the Pennsylvania uh, countryside for a while. Yeah, a little different than that. I mean, this guy, you're thinking, what are you going to say? No, I'm supposed to be here a little longer. I mean, no. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm here for crucifixion. Oh, no, okay. Good one. You almost had me there. All right. Pick up your cross out the door to the right. There you go. Uh, oh, Monty Python. Yeah, we're getting all the references in today. Um, but, you know, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, if this guy just went home, so say, say, I don't know what the whole story is, and I don't know if we'll ever know the whole story. But say this guy, um, Mason, was just released. He said, okay, gets out of the prison, says, hey, I, I, I get to come home. Can someone come pick me up? Someone picks him up, drives him home. He's sitting home having, you know, you know, watch that. And they come kicking in the door saying you weren't supposed to be released. I mean, did the guy really do anything wrong? 
I mean, if that's all that happened, I hope they don't charge him with any additional time because he didn't flee. He was released. And that's a big difference. And I got, I, well, I got to imagine too. I mean, if they try to install this, if they went to a court and said, you know, you need to give him some more time because of this, that they would come back and they'd say that his lawyer would laugh them out of court. I mean, how, how do you accuse him of being the problem when he, you know, he didn't do anything wrong? He was mistaken. 28 year old Mason was mistakenly released on September 13th from the adult con- uh, detention center due to faulty records review by a staff member. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to get mad at someone, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like he, he killed anyone. It doesn't sound like he committed any crimes while he was out. You know, maybe he thought, hey, this is my lucky day. I'm going to turn my life around, goes home, and they, they come back. It, I mean, I, you don't know the circumstances here. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind they went into his house, arms, you know, guns drawn and stuff like that to bring him on in, but... I don't know if it's really something you're going to be able to necessarily hang around his his neck, per se, in regards to, to culpability and fault. And that's more on the Indiana guys. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. When I come on back, uh, apparently, remember when we were talking about Lifetime Fitness and they're basically telling old people, hey, the old wrinkly folks, guess what? You're not welcome all the time now in Lifetime Fitness. There's been a development on the story. We'll talk a little bit about that because as someone pointed out to me, this might not just be elderly people, which I'm going to be interested to see if, if Lifetime can you know, survive a lawsuit on something like this. We'll, we'll come back and talk about that. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Okay, we might actually have to get to the Lifetime story in the second hour here after Stein. Because I found the Washington Post price and uh, adjuster. So, um, thanks to Brett. Uh, this is so. Of course, if you missed the story yesterday, Donald Trump uh, was found guilty of fraud because what he was doing was when he was trying to sell property or, or when he was trying to get loans on property, he'd grossly inflate the value of the property to make himself seem more. Um, you know, more wealthy, but when he was when there was a liability associated with his property, his property he'd cut down to bare bare minimums. But the obnoxious part was how much he over over inflated the cost of his properties. And this is fantastic. Washington Post giving I'm going to give the Washington Post a credit on this one. Um, the ruling walked through the scale of the inflation undertaken by Trump organization over the past 10 to 15 years. For example, consider the gap in volunt valuation given to Trump's Seven Springs property in Westchester, New York. Uh, the judge compared it as appraised value with that was presented to the st- uh, statements of financial condition presented as potential investors. Notwithstanding receiving market values from professional appraisals in 2000, 2006, 2012, and 2014, Valuing Seven Springs at or below $30 million, Donald Trump's 2011 SFC reported the value to be $261 million. And his 2012, 2013, 2014 SFCs reported the value to be $291 million. Once again, the actual valuation of his property was $30 million. Now, it's been interesting because there are some idiots who are out there trying to scream, well, it's it's what he asked for. It's, okay, it's not a freaking Van Gogh. 
You know, if you look at fine art, if someone pays $40 million for a painting, well, that painting is worth $40 million. But we don't allow that for real estate because that would be wild real estate speculation. And it would, it would allow people to basically crash the real estate market at home. And you could basically, you know, outprice everything. And yeah, you can end up creating a mess. So that's why you have independent appraisers. And even when you do have a fine piece of art, there are plenty of independent appraisers who give their estimated value on it. And it might be a little bit more, go for a little bit more, might go for a little bit less, but that's what the case may be. But it's not the same thing. So these, these Republicans out there saying, well, I think my house is worth a lot more too. I don't know what the big problem is. Well, you can't do, you can't lie on filings. You have to have the actual price listed and you sure can't say something that's worth $30 million is actually worth $261 million or $291 million. So basically, as you can figure out here, that the guy has <laughs> been lying. The most contentious valuation was that applied to Mar-a-Lago, Trump's home in Florida, the cesspool that is the cesspool. It has been presented as being worth, eight, by the way, is there anything funnier than a guy living in Florida talking about how he wants to drain the swamp? Really? 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 Good luck with your meth gators down there. It was presented, Mar-a-Lago was presented as being worth as much as $612 million in Trump's financial documents, despite restrictions on how the property could be used. An outsider appraiser put the value closer to $28 million. <laughs> Just off a smidge. His, his excuse now is that, well, the, and by the way, listen to this. Well, the Saudis would have paid this much for it. What was that about the Saudis paying something for something? The pot, so you could just tell the Saudis a price and they gave you that much money? Oh, tell us more. At, with that Mr. I was doing dealings with the Saudis while I was president. Yeah. So a different approach. Here, here's what they've done. So you can, like me, now the, it doesn't break it down exactly. It goes by hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's how the, the scale works. So I've got this set at $400,000. That's more than my house is worth, but you know, just kind of, it, it's the, the base scale of this. So say you own a house that's $400,000. Actually, I'll tell you what, let's do it. Let's go down to 300,000. Cause I think there's a lot of people in the Metro that that's their house. That's 300,000. I think is pretty close to average in the Twin Cities Metro. Okay. So say your house is $300,000, but you want to value it like Trump did with his properties. 300K. If you inflate the value to the extent that Trump inflated the value of Trump Tower, your $300,000 house would be listed at $818,479, an increase of $518,000. That's, yes, more than double. Yeah, you're, that's a lot. You're yeah. more than doubling your home. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a smidge. Mar-a-Lago. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. So I want to make sure you understand. It's like you say to yourself, it was a common bookkeeping era at every one of his properties. He was doing this over and over and over again at each one of his properties, grossly evaluating. And once again, one of the easiest, this was such an easy ruling for the judge because they just hired a bunch of people that appraised the price of these things and they came in at minuscule amounts to what Trump was saying they're worth. So- if we use the Trump valuation for Mar-a-Lago and applied it to your $300,000 house here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area, your house would be worth 
$4,636,191 up to... Ten million two hundred and one thousand eight hundred forty-two because he valued Mar-a-Lago at that much of an ex- of that high. A three hundred thousand dollar house, he valued it at ten million dollars. Jesus. And by the way, shame on every bank. Have you? Is there anyone? Don't tell me the banks weren't somewhat deeply involved in all this. Have you ever tried to buy a house? The bank wants the appraiser to go through it and look at it. So how in the hell did this guy get these loans and stuff like this? Was he able to list stuff on documents? And the, the, at no point did the bank go out there and say, wait a second, our, our appraiser out there saying it's it's worth only you know $300,000. I don't know about you, but when I went to the bank, I said, my home's worth this much money. And they uh, just took me at face value. And said, Reckless speculation is always the best fiscal policy, if I, if I can say. They wanted no documentation. No. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Handshake. Your word is good with us, Mr. Orange Man. Uh, good luck eating that hamburger in this in your 70s. Your judgment can't be questioned. Jesus. <laughs> Hello, bucket of chicken. I've missed you. Uh, if we took and we we took that three hundred thousand dollar house in the metro area and applied the Donald Trump Civil Springs or Seven Springs evaluation, that house would be worth $2,910,000. Using the inflation applied to the property at 40 Wall Street, we would get a value ranging uh, to $787,000 in 2011. Then there are the golf clubs. Inflating your $300,000 home in the same degree as the inflation applied to the club at Brercliff your house would be listed at $1,335,095, only off by a million, only off by a million. If you used the inflation for his club in Los Angeles, his $300,000 club is actually listed as $1,061,000. The Washington Post at the end. Congratulations on your sudden surge in net worth and good luck in court. (laughs) Good luck with all that. Uh, and yet, once again, because the national media, first of all, can I just say this? I have, it's embarrassing how little the national media has covered this. This guy was lying through his teeth for years on the values of his property. And yet it's the mentality is today. Sure, he was found to be a criminal, but man, he's got some plucky ideas for the economy. You know, like that's like, you can just skip past this. Well, at the same time, vilifying Joe Biden Oh, no one trusts Joe Biden with the economy. You know who I trust Joe Biden far more than? Donald, oh, my my, my $300,000 house is worth $10 million. $10 million. Can we, can we apply the same thing to his weight? <laughs> let me just let me just do the math here. Uh Maybe this is the problem with his weight. It's that we just don't get the right answer. Uh, So, yeah. Taking his 215 pounds, timesing it by, I don't know, 13. 
Donald Trump actually weighs 2,795 pounds. That's inflation we can all get behind. And it is a pretty big behind. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Jeff Stein joins us when we return. We'll talk about how you can mark up your properties later. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. This is Chad. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff. J-E-F-F, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff Stein's our national and presidential expert. Noted author. You can find his books over at Next Chapter Books, totallyiowa.com. Uh, dot com. Uh, we have, of course, the Iowa Business Report and the Iowa Politics Report come to us from KXEL in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, where Jeff is joining us from today. You are there, correct? I are here. You yes, are sir. there. There I'm, you are. I'm, I am right here in the studio. I don't feel like I really ever leave, but, you know. Well, you don't, man. Okay, you, you and I are like, you know kind of some sort of Greek twins. You go, you know, at one point, you know, you decided, you know what, I'm going to be professional in business and wear suits. And dude, I'm slack or casual. I mean, it's just, they have to nudge me awake for this event here. You know, it's, 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 you know, you, you and I definitely are taking different paths in our career. They roll you over and put a different T-shirt on you. Is it the Savannah Bananas today? Yes, Savannah Bananas. There you are. There you go. Yeah. By the way, and I can't. I, I cannot wear the one I wore yesterday around this town. The Red Owl. You remember the old Red Owl grocery stores, right? Sure. Yeah. Of course. Right. I cannot wear that around because I, I, I wore it yesterday and then I just wear it again this morning because I'm going to go work out at the gym and I just you know, I'm not going to dirty up a different shirt. I'll just dirty that one up. And yeah. I, 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 it took me an extra half hour to get done. Because I had people say, I remember the, every trip I ever made to the Red Owl. Let me tell you about it. And you're like, oh, my God. I can't wear that shirt to, like, a Twins game or a Vikings game. I can't I can't go up and down the stairs without at least two or three people saying, Red Owl, that's a great shirt. And you're like, okay, all right, fine. I like, I like Red Owl, too. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if they said, hey, guy in the Red Owl shirt, I love your radio show weekday <sighs> afternoons from 3 until 5 on the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, considering the demographic that's usually saying they like my shirt, I'm not sure they're fans. I think well, it's because the they, they've torn what? the knob off the TV on Fox News a long time ago, I think. Well, you know, Brett's going to have to weigh in on this, but shouldn't you, when you're out in public, be wearing a station shirt? Shouldn't you be advertising for the brand? Shouldn't there just be this big AM 950 all over you? Brett. There could be, yeah. We could get maybe one of a giant picture of your face on there with the Matt McNeil. Oh, shirt. I would I would not be against that. I would not be against wear, me wearing just a shirt with my face on it. <laughs> <laughs> that that would clear out the aisle at the at the game to be sure. But I mean, truly, it's you go out and do a personal appearance. You wear a, a station uh, cap or a shirt. Shouldn't it? Oh, this is what it should be. Brett, work on this. You know, logo, of course. Big old face of Matt, but then it says, "Listen to me weekday <laughs> afternoons from three until five. If we just I put think that'd be fantastic. If we just put the picture of my face on that, I'm just I already can see what's going to happen. They're going to like it's like <laughs> I love the movie Powder too. And you're like, oh God, no, <laughs> That's like, no, no, no. Hey, hey, Shrek, you know, no, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go down that road. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, again, it's a missed opportunity yes. because you, you'd be a walking billboard. Just think how much Red Owl got in publicity, right, by you wearing the T-shirt. <laughs> Heaven forbid I, there aren't any more Red Owl stores around so that they could in, that's, engage that's in that. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're not able to cash in. So you've already proven, you know, really you ought to be walking around in a shirt with sponsor logos you ought to be like a nascar oh, driver i, I would respect. you got me a nascar bodysuit like the the drivers have with all the station after oh in a heartbeat in a heartbeat i would wear that there you go there you go there you go okay so once again management of am 950 pictures or it didn't happen that's all i'm gonna say about it uh so trump's guilty of i mean okay <laughs> I mean, okay. okay okay there's inflating property values and then there's there what trump there, there is so brazen uh we just did in the last segment we took the washington post survey where you can basically go and type in your house value and see what it'd be elevated to uh under the trump standard and the one that's a that's funny is a three hundred thousand dollar house would be worth $10 million under Trump's valuation process. And okay. it's it's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. But it's not a Van Gogh. No, it's not. It's, it's not. There's Here's the part which, I mean, not only clearly are they guilty, because this is not one time. It's not one misplaced decimal point. It is years and years and years of grossly evaluating the price here. But as well, I'm somewhat stunned the banks aren't also being hauled in on this because when you went and bought your house, I bought my house. One of the things the bank always insists is make sure the property is worth what we're paying for it. And they, they send an inspector to make sure everything's on the up and up. Mm -hmm. uh, at no point does it seem like when he was going to these banks for these loans and he was saying uh, that the, the Mar-a-Lago is worth a billion, they would say, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. We'll just, you know, handshake deal. They did. There wasn't any kind of, you know, evaluation process that said, okay, you're wrong or you're right. It just is they took him at face value. You and I have talked about this before, and we've talked about the fact that no self-respecting bank is going to take the valuation of a person walking in the door, and I don't care what their name is. It's exactly the point you made. When you buy a piece of property or you're getting a loan for a piece of property, they have an appraisal, and these are real-life certified appraisers. Not one's you as the one getting the mortgage higher. So Matt McNeil goes in and says, you know what? I want to get a mortgage against the radio station and it's worth $11 billion. They're going to say, well, we need an appraisal. So then Matt gets his buddy that he owes money to, to do an appraisal that says, yep, $11 billion. They're not going to accept that. No. That's why you have certified appraisers. And this is not to absolve Trump in any, in any respect, but how is it that the bank is taking on a bad loan like this? Were they so just bowled over that Trump wanted to do business with them? Was it the power of personality? I don't get it, but it's quite a mess. Well, and it doesn't absolve Trump or his family no, from this no. at all. I mean, it's a two-party system. You can't have a fraud on this level for this long without a lot of people involved. Here's well, the other and the only way you could, the only way you could, and again, you're the one, let's say, getting the loan. You look at an appraisal and it says $10 million. And you, in good faith, believe that that appraisal is accurate. And so you say, yes, it's worth $10 million. You could do that once, first of all. But second of all, 
you could do it if it didn't defy the the smell test. Mm -hmm. Three hundred thousand to ten million, for to use your your earlier example. I mean, the common average person would say that looks a little higher. So again, everything I just said, Matt, is on a one-time situation. How many times was this repeated for the Trump Corporation? Well, and I'll even back you up and give them another out on this. Say you did have a faulty evaluator. Come on out and say your $300,000 house is worth $10 million. Right. It's one thing that if and then in every form you list from 20, 2009, 2010, 2011, you list $10 million, $10 million, $10 million. He didn't do that. He kept valuing and changing the value, which then, you know, even if he was trying trying to say that there was some sort of evaluator that was, you know, out of control, the reality is, is they kept putting different numbers down on paper, which means that there's someone should have come in every time. It, there is a lot of fault here, but it, 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 this, this ruling against Trump, it really does pretty much wipe out his ability to do business in New York at this point. You know, there was something, and in, in you and I talked about this at a previous point. Well, by the way, put in a different number in different years. Well, it's inflation. You know, market's hot. But <laughs> it's, when, it's four million dollars more hot. That's that's well, those eggs. Those eggs are pricey, man. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, and the other thing is, if you're the bank, how many times has Mr. Trump's businesses taken bankruptcy? I Multiple. Think, yeah, I think he's up to eight or nine. Well, and I don't even know how many, but even if it was one, if you took bankruptcy and then went into the bank, aren't they going to look at you a little more closely? Yes. I would say yes. All right. So now go to go to this. Um, now, I don't even remember what we were talking about here. Uh, it, it, it's it's maddening because when when you put the dollar amounts on there and uh, this is something that's been rumored for so long, the New York attorney general. And this was something Trump world was really going on and on about. She campaigned saying, you elect me attorney general and I'm going to get Trump. I mean, she basically said that. And they all said, well, it's ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can prove it, it's not boasting, <laughs> no. right? I mean, it's if she went into this saying, I'm going to get Donald Trump. Now, I, I don't like that as a campaign slogan, okay, for a prosecutor. I want a prosecutor who says, I will you know, bring everyone to justice. She lasered in on him. She got elected and she's able to marshal a case. Okay. It may be, uh, the, she may be biased as all get out, but if there are facts to support it, it ain't biased. Well, if, if you're going to give them that many facts and I mean, it clearly is bugging Trump. I mean, he has gone ballistic ever since this because mm -hmm. this is his entire thing. This is, I'm a very wealthy, successful business person that's worth billions. And you know, he still is worth millions. It's just, he's not worth billions. And he just doesn't like the, the, the reality of, of that coming down on him. Um, yeah. uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. Now you're going to be obviously one of the things you're very quick to say when we talk about individuals and their books that are coming out about anyone. It's one person talking here mm -hmm. in the case. They do open themselves up for lawsuits and funny story. A lot of times there's no lawsuits to, to challenge this stuff. <laughs> yes. When, when she's talking about Trump, and I'll just briefly mention this, the fact that if part of her story is that Trump was screaming, hang him, hang him, hang him on January 6th while he was watching this. Yeah, you know, the, I, I, I don't quite that 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 revelation is that, you know, he was, you know, he was screaming about hanging Mike Pence while he watched the coverage. I, you know, and the fact that when he screamed it, then it was all of a sudden being said by the crowd. 
that's just, you know, once again, you know, you know, fascism 101. I mean, it's just it, it is terrifying to think that someone was in the White House of the of the United States. Once again, one person saying it right now, although I mean, there's a lot of evidence that he was indeed encouraging this. Um, but with Cassidy Hutchinson, the fact that we had a president in the White House allegedly screaming to hang the vice president while they were president is I, 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 I mean, that that is beyond believable in regards to anything. I mean, it's it's like a bad Gerald Butler movie, for God's sake. Well, now now there's you've just made the point of the right. It is beyond believable because is this not the same woman who was on the Trump payroll personal payroll for months after Trump left office. And but isn't she is, the one in the but, book okay. that also claims that Rudy groped her? But I you're, mean, well, no, she, well, but okay. And what you're saying is this, is that, is it believable? But there comes a point when the 23 women that accuse him of sexual assault, the Fulton County DA, the, the federal investigators, the, the Jack Smiths, the, the, the fact we have boxes and boxes of classified documents in a bathroom. We now have all the fraud that's being thing. It's not like this is, you know, you know, a, you know, an, an angel all who all of a sudden has one person besmirching them. This is someone who this actually plays directly in their their timeline. This is who they are. And if at this point, after all of this stuff, you look at Cassidy Hutchinson, and it's like, well, just how can you believe her? Well, we can believe her because Trump himself admits to half this stuff. And, you know, it's it's it, you have to that, that's the that, that's the paradigm of the modern Trump supporter is that you have to deny that he's done the things that he is actually bragging about doing. Well, and, and the thing and you said, and that's why I picked up on the phrase you said, it's beyond believable. But yes. it's Trump. <laughs> what, well, what did you what have you heard from the White House that day previously that he sat and munched on a cheeseburger and was enjoying what he was seeing on TV. Okay, if in fact you've heard that previously, and I think that is an accurate recitation of what we had heard previously. Now you add a couple of details. Does it then become much more plausible? Yeah. All right. Now, again, I can I can play both sides of this street very easily. Why is it she stayed on Trump's payroll for so many months? Because you need a job. Why is it that she saved some of these assertions until the book? Because that's what you do to sell a book. I mean, it's, and, well, it's but it's also what you know, a lot of other Trump officials have also done. Well, now, yeah, exactly. So, so the point is, I am not going to simply accept everything she says or reject everything she says. Haven't read it. Haven't investigated it. It's just again, there's so much. This is the thing. And this is where this is important, to me anyway. This is the very thing, Matt, that leads a lot of people who voted for Trump twice and otherwise are disposed to vote for him a third time, that leads them to say, mm, I'm going to look around a little bit because they like the Trump from 2015 slash 2016 to the point that they voted again in 2020, but they don't want the drama. Mm -hmm. So let's just assume for the sake of argument that everything the young woman wrote in, well, they're all young to me. I'm <laughs> well, you, mean you and I the same, man. It's like, Hey, young <laughs> youngster. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> hey, little girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, if you, if you, if you 
re- if you assume that everything that that she said is false, it's still out there. It's still swirling around. And this is the kind of stuff that there are a lot of people who say, I like the guy. I like what he did, but I just can't do it a third time because there's too much drama. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. So again, assume that everything she says is a lie. It's still a problem for him from an electability standpoint. But really, the the person that doesn't come out well in this book is not Trump. I mean, he doesn't look great. It's no. Mark Meadows who needs a sad trombone every time he walks into a room at this point. I mean, it's just, you know, it's Meadows sounds like just the most pathetic human being. And the fact I did love the thing that the, he's, you know, you've burned leaves. You've had a campfire. You've done these things and you know, you smell like the campfire that apparently Mark Meadows is walking around the White House smelling like he's been out roasting marshmallows all the time because he's been burning so many documents for Trump. I mean, it's just it's. It's, you know, it, there is just a, a, a caravan of lunacy that was in that White House. And to hear stories like this, it just is like, wow. And Meadows, who's already in trouble in Fulton County, and he's in big trouble now that they've kicked it back down to state court. Um, he, you know, the fact is now you have all this out there as well. He definitely is a guy that's his his reputation will never at best recover. He might end up being, being in jail at some point. If you do not do a promo where your program is called, what was it? The, the Carnival of Lunacy? What did you just the, the call car- it? The Carnival of Lunacy, yes. Yeah. Or the ca- Caravan. The Caravan of Caravan. Lunacy. The Caravan, Caravan of Lunacy. I knew, I, I knew I should have taken notes. Yes, the Matt McNeil Show. A Caravan of Lunacy. We, that's the t-shirt. There you go. There, there, see, With the sad trombone sound in the background. <laughs> a picture of Brett playing a trombone in the background. Okay, here's the thing with Meadows. Why did he take the job to begin with? That is something that has puzzled a lot of folks. He had a very safe congressional seat, as I understand it, as I recall. Why would you take the job as chief of staff in a short-term situation? Did you think that you were going to be the heartbeat away, not as a vice president, but you you could leverage it because you'd watch too many episodes of The West Wing and you thought that if he got reelected, you were going to be the the power behind the throne. I don't know. But the <laughs> fact that again, nice analogy this time of year, you come into the house, you've been burning leaves. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and, and so this is the thing. I don't know why he took the job to begin with. I'm not sure that he was terribly good at it. He tried to roll so that he wouldn't get charged. That didn't work in Georgia. Yeah. It's, it's a real, it's a real, uh, I'm sure he's looking at the resume going, Man, that was a mistake. Well, maybe those boxes in the bathroom were actually labeled firewood. Uh, and, and let's face it, Mark Meadows was, if you're looking at a character from, from entertainment to compare him to, the gimp from Pulp Fiction had more dignity. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, the, <laughs> the shutdown in the government could, is, is going to happen. We'll get to that in a second. Jeff Stein joining us. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Jeff Stein joining us for his usual Wednesday visit. And Jeff, the, uh, I want to give actually the Senate a lot of credit, both sides on the Democrats and Republicans. They actually came together with a bill to keep the government open just to dangle over the House and basically said, we're being adults. We can get this done. You know, I just 
I do not have any faith that there, even though he's willing to apparently throw, you know, funding for poor schools, for hungry families, for hungry pregnant women, all that stuff can get cut to the bone. I just don't think it's going to be enough for for uh, McCarthy to get a bill passed without any Democrats on board. Speaking of caravan of lunacy. Yeah, my God. I mean, here's where I knew that all was lost. When McCarthy comes out of the meeting and people say, well, what's the holdup? And he says, I don't know what they want. They won't tell me what they want. When members of his own caucus who are standing in the way, you know, he says, what can I do? They don't have an answer. They just want to say the word no. And, you know, I mean, we, we talk about uh, McCarthy's got to worry about people like Matt Gates. He's got to worry about uh, Mitch McConnell. He just stole his lunch money, stole McCarthy's lunch money with this with this maneuver. And again, who looks like the adults in the room? Mm -hmm. It's not this uh, ragtag bunch of Republicans. And stop complaining that you have such a small majority. That's your own fault because you articulated zero vision other than I want to be speaker. And that was it. In Minnesota, we had a one-seat majority for the DFL in, in, in the Senate, and they still got everything passed, and it, it was relatively amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, th that being said, you bring up the problem, though. The problem really is this. You've got you know, districts where a turnip with an R next to it, their name could win the seat. And then mm -hmm. in, in what you get into those seats are people who are addicted to their TV time, their, their, their Twitter you know, likes, and, and their social media status where their trolls come out there and praise them constantly. And when you have that, it's, I, I, I think McCarthy's exactly right. I think these people, they just know that they're, they're running down the street screaming with their arms waving, but that's how they get attention. And they love that. And you can't get them out because they're in districts which have been designed for a Republican not to be able to lose. Well, and at the very least, you know, I think McCarthy just had finally had enough and said, fine, bring it, file the motion, file the motion to vacate the chair. I dare you to do it because mm -hmm. if they want to go to, you know, maybe it's just not worth it anymore to him. And I don't know that I would blame him because again, it's not like he's there to lead an agenda or a movement. He's already got the business card. Would it help him? I, I got to imagine it would help his perception if he all of a sudden reached out to say 60 Democrats and say, what do you guys want? The, mod the well, most moderate Democrats. The but that's the thing that the that the far right Republicans say will immediately trigger a motion to vacate. And I, you know, and I think at this point he ought to just say government needs to stay open. We're not mm -hmm. shutting it down. Bring get a little coalition together. Even if once again you have a minority of Republicans, at least it's a governing body. And other than that, we're shutting it down by the time people hear this uh, on Best of this weekend. And Look at that segue. There you go. Nicely done. And by the way, you know, as much as they want to try, no one's going to blame anyone else but House Republicans no, on this in any all. way. So uh, the, we do replay this on the weekend. You can get more Jeff for your dollar right here on AM 950. We'll put the Iowa politics report out a little bit later on. Hour two. That's coming up next. Thanks, Jeff. Hour two of the show here on your Wednesday, Matt, Brett. And once again, uh, when exactly do we air that Jeff Stein magnificent bit of beauty on the weekend here? You can now hear that after the new home cringe show, which is at two o'clock. Your show is at two thirty with Jeff Stein. There you go. Right after. And, and that's on what day? Sundays. Sundays. Uh, and he's right. You know, the government could be shut down by the time we get to that show because that's October 1st. So it could be yep. could be shut down. Oi, 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 oi. 952 946 I'm glad we do things right here in Minnesota. 
Uh, I just caught this, and uh, this is a tweet from our governor. High-paying jobs plus paid leave plus good schools plus adult-use cannabis uh, plus reproductive freedom equals the best state. Millennial math. And it links to a Fox 9 story. Get ready for it. Get ready for it because it's going to happen. A new study ranks Minnesota as the best state for millennials. Yay! With, uh, hey, kids, it's it's you, 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 the old daddy, zaddy. Zaddy? Zaddy? Is, is that the term? Someone said that one time. I'm a zaddy. I have no idea what that uh, means. Yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> zaddy! I have no idea. Anyway, hi, kids. It's Matt. Welcome in. I don't understand what you're talking about, but hey, it's cool. Kardashians. I don't know. What do I say? How do I relate to the millennials? I mean, I, I'm a guy from the 80s, dude. Yeah. It's almost at the point now where I think it's Gen Z. Like, millennials are starting to oh, be older no. now, too. Oh, God. There's nothing more than the eye rolls of the Gen Zers I get with my children. Hi. Hi, kids. How you doing? Oh, Dad, shut up. All right. I'll be over here being quiet. They don't. It's funny. It's like, how do you guys like Stranger Things? It's basically, I, Stranger Things is amazing how much detail they get right about the 80s. It's unbelievable. There was a sticker on a door in a school scene. Just one of those, you know, like, you know, don't do drug stickers, which was the sticker from the freaking 80s. I don't even know where the heck they found the dang thing. That, that's commitment right there. there. But and every kid's like, isn't this the greatest? Well, let me tell you about that. No, don't scare me, old man. You're like, oh, God, really? <laughs> well, welcome, millennials. I'm the scary old man, I guess. I don't know. I, I'll figure out what that means. In a study from Scularo, really? <laughs> Scularo uh, looked at seven different factors to rank each state. Affordability, politics, social environment, uh, politics and social environment. Employment, quality of life, health, personal finance, and safety. Minnesota ranked best in affordability and personal finance, ranks third and and with ranks of, of third and second. They also got top 10 in health. Of course they did. Wisconsin came in 19. <laughs> the worst day for millennials is and always will be Alabama. <laughs> is there any doubt there? Not stunned at all by that, yeah. I figured it had to be a red state from the South. Considering that's a state that basically is still working pre-2000 you know, 2000 millennial timeline, uh, I don't think that that's a, a bad thing. Hey, Wisconsin, you're number 19. We're number one. You know, that's just how it is nowadays, man. Just sorry. Just got to, you know, you just got to take it what it is, man. Probably only 19 because they have Evers. If it was still Scott Walker, that'd probably be like 39. <laughs> It'd be the Alabama of the North. You know? <laughs> 49 is Wisconsin. Uh, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Okay, so the story I promised I was going to touch on there before you got me, Brett, blame Brett because you got me onto the the Trump property evaluator. Why, I just helped you out. You're going to go talk to oh, a real estate just... agent tonight, go to the bank and say, look at all how much my home is worth. I'm going to do, so. do it with like a monochrome glass lens and wearing a top hat. It's like, hello there, I'd like to finance my Hopkins property. <laughs> <laughs> should, should I carry like a cat and pet that while I go through? Hello. <laughs> a new policy is set to go in effect at a t- uh, lifetime centers across the country in the new year. And is a lot of people across the metro frustrated. Come January 1st, members of the Chanhassen based fitness chain, who are also part of the Silver Sneakers, an insurance health program designed for adults 65 and older, 
will no longer be able to be hit the gym anytime they want. Instead, Lifetime recently announced Silver Sneakers members would be restricted to sweating it out between 9.30 and 3 p.m. Monday through Friday with restricted weekend hours, too. Wow. And I've talked about this. I said, how do you not get sued for age discrimination on something like this? I, I don't know. I mean, you're trying to think of a – granted, you're getting reimbursed here. But could a doctor who's getting reimbursed for Medicaid, Medicare, go and basically say, well, old people can't be here outside of, you know, 9 a.m. till 3 p.m.? That's your only window there. I don't think they could get away with it. Uh, Channel 5 timed, talked with two longtime Lifetime members who said they feel the new policy is age discrimination. I kind of, to a point, agree with it, if you want to know the truth. I just, I don't know the ins and outs well enough of the law to say whether it is or not. It kind of sounds like it. When the club is open 18 hours a day and we can only enjoy it five and a half, we're appalled by this, said Dan uh, Doffenbach. I feel angry and betrayed. There should be no punishment for being over 65, said Diana Valentini. I do not see the times for any other age group being restricted. Working out is more than just fitness for uh, Dauphin Bach and Valentini, who each have members of the Lifetime uh, location in Savage for nearly 20 years. Um, so, and, and, and it should be noted here that if you're an elderly person who has your own membership, it doesn't sound like that you pay, you don't, you're not going through the Silver Sneakers program, that you're basically paying for it just out of your pocket, that you can come in there and be near the beautiful people during the beautiful people time. It's just that, you know, not not for the rest of you. Uh, most of my good close friends, my really good close friends that I've been keeping through my life, I've met through the gym, says Valentini. I've met a lot of people at the gym, too. It's, it's, it's a great place to meet people. Valentini's close circle consists of about 18 fitness lovers who, along with daily chats at the gym, get together every Friday for happy hour. It's a tradition that started about three years ago, Valentini said. We have a great time. Both Valentini and Doffenbach work out at the lifetime between five and seven days every week at the same time each day. Uh, Dan walks through the doors at 6.15 a.m., Diana at 3.15 p.m. However, those decades-long routines will be brought to a halt soon with the new policy at lifetime. I feel we're being punished for being a little older, Valentini said. When I go in at 6.15, it's 40% full, so it's not like we're taking away parking spaces or the use of the machines, Doffenbach said, which is, okay, yeah, I'm going to go with him in there. I mean, I go to, occasionally I will go to my club early in the morning. It's empty. It opens, if a club opens at 5, here's what I'll, I'll just say. Say it opens at 5 a.m. Usually it's pretty busy right at 5 with people that hit it right away. By the time you get to six, it's pretty empty up until about nine or so. And then at nine o'clock, that's when you get the classes that will start, the the pump it up, the body pump, and the, the you know, jazzercise. I don't know. <laughs> Jane, Foster, Jane Fonda shows up. Uh, you know, it's you can dance like the, the solid gold dancers. I don't know what it all does, but, you know, you've got those classes that are in there. And once those, and then the pool classes start in, and then they have you know some programs that are specifically designed for for elderly people that you know that go on and like the gym and stuff like this or pickleball in the gym. I was talking about pickleball the other day, and it gets really packed. As a matter of fact, I know if I have to go work out, I probably want to do that before say 
9, 30, 10 o'clock, because at that point, the gym gets really busy with mostly elderly people that are coming in to get their workouts in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always a lot less people at 6.15 in the morning. I, I agree wholeheartedly with this guy. Lifetime spokesperson tells uh, Channel 5 that the changes come after negotiations with Medicare. The rate provided providers pay is significantly discounted from a standard membership, Lifetime says, and the restricted hours were selected with the best interest of all members in mind. The alternative solution would be no contract renewal, meaning no access to lifetime, the spokesperson said. Wow. You guys, first of all, you need to do public relations a little bit more because this this doesn't come out well. And it comes in and someone brought this up to me. And I I don't know the details, but they say if you're restricting the cheaper memberships that are reimbursed through Medicare. Well, then aren't you restricting like the, 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 the memberships for people who are disabled, who are using Medicare to offset the cost of that? Because that would seem to be kind of in the same vein here is that any, what you're arguing is this, is that if we have to get reimbursed, we can't, we can't get our gold bladed membership level. <laughs> And so you're saying that old people, you here, here's your window, get in there, grandpa, and work out. <laughs> sweat, grandpa, sweat. <laughs> That's what they do. Uh, but they, they have their windows here. Well, are, and it does sound like in the story, this is only silver sneakers, but I mean, if you're, if you're starting to restrict memberships for people that get discounted rights through Medicare, well, isn't that disabled people too? Are you discriminating against disabled people? And if you have someone who's disabled and on silver sneakers, are you dis- dis- are you basically discriminating against them? Which then opens up another can of worms of are you you know you know disabled uh, di- uh, you know discrimination against handicapped people. I mean, there's some there's some things here I don't quite understand. It sounds like what they did is that of all the discounted rates, the one through the silver sneakers are the only ones that are affected. But not only do I have the question on whether or not that's that's legitimate age discrimination, if you have someone who is part of silver sneakers who's also disabled and you just basically told them they can't be in the gym outside of your special elderly person hours, then basically did you just commit you know, discrimination against disabled people. I mean, I'm not crazy. That that's 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 actually no, a natural. You, you got me thinking more about this because originally, when you first brought this up, however many weeks ago, I thought, well, it seems cut and dry, private business making a decision. But yeah, you, you, there's a lot more complexities to this, and I think you might be onto something. And like I said, um, it's I don't know yeah. what what the. I mean, it doesn't sound like Lifetime Fitness is restricting anyone else as far as disabled. Yeah. But it really does bring up an interesting case. If you have someone whose membership is through Silver Sneakers and they are disabled, did you just do, you know, d- you know, disability, you know, d- discriminate against a disabled person, which is really big time illegal. You can't do that. And you, I, I, I don't think you can do age discrimination. I'm still kind of wondering how you're getting away with this because this kind of does sound like I mean, the option would be for you to not take Medicare. Things. Now, I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying this. But if you just came on out and said, we don't accept memberships through Medicare, period. End of story. End of discussion. These are private memberships, and that's that. Okay, fine. That's where you get that private yeah. business. 
But if you are taking the money, are you allowed to then so blatantly restrict the access to the product to where you basically are, are you know, you, because you, this is a, it's a silver sneakers program, so it's clearly elderly people that you basically are restricting them from being able to use it, even though you're accepting taxpayer dollars in, in subsidies to offset the cost here. And then once again, as, as a listener pointed out, it's like, are, are they discriminating against people that are disabled? Because that's a big no-no. You can't do that. And well, you can't do the age discrimination either. I don't know. I, this is, I, I have no doubt that Lifetime Fitness's lawyers on this went over this and felt as if this was a legal path to go down. I don't think that that's the case. I still think that there's a legitimate chance you're going to end up in a court case, though, on age discrimination at all. But, you know, if any of those silver sneaker people are disabled as well, well, that's interesting. Are they, are you going to allow them to have full access to the club if they're silver sneakers and disabled, which then might actually, yeah, open the door for a further lawsuit? I don't know. The money you receive from our insurance agencies is the same no matter what time of day we choose to come to work out, said Valentini's. More than 15,000 Minnesota seniors work out at Lifetime as part of their Medicare coverage. And while the fitness chain says a majority of those members are understanding, many others are not. To Lifetime management, like everyone else, I think the decision to limit seniors' hours is despicable, Valentini read from a letter she sent to the gym's headquarters a few weeks ago. Several Silver Sneakers members tell Channel 5 they've written letters just like Valentini's in hopes of persuading those to the top to reconsider the policy. No response. They're just ignoring us. It's like we're not important to them. You just figuring that one out? <laughs> I hate saying this, but, you know, you're not exactly an A-plus customer if they're saying, yeah, you can't be in here. And if you make seniors angry, they're generally going to follow up. They're not going to probably let this go away either. No. I, and yeah, I don't blame them either, yeah. Both uh, Doffenbach and Valentini say they haven't decided what they're going to do next, though they haven't considered switching gyms yet because they're holding out hope to change before January. I don't know. I, I, I get the serious impression. I don't think this, I, I just, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm going to presume Lifetime Fitness's lawyers went over this, that they, they didn't just do this on a, on, a, on a whim and a prayer and think that this was going to get away. So I'm going to presume that there is no case for them to be able to get sued for age discrimination. But it does, like I said, if you have someone who's in the silver sneakers program, who's not only an elderly person, but also disabled, and you say, you can't come into the club, ah, yeah. Um, And I just, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you don't want to take the money, don't take the money. You know, it, it, and that, I think that's the case. Don't If you don't want to take the money, if you don't want the people to be able to come and use the club at their leisure as they always have, well, then don't take the money. Say, you know what, we're not going to accept this. And, you know, sorry, you can get a private membership and you can come anytime you want or else you can find a different gym. That's what you could do. It just it seems like Lifetime wants to have both sides of the coin here. They want to get the money, but they don't want the people who are they, that basically they – have to accept into their club who get the money from coming into the club when they want to, only when they have the designated old people hours. All right. 
I, like I said, I, I, I'm. I, would I be surprised tomorrow if there wasn't a lawsuit on, on this case, screwing for age? Where they'd be screwing them over for age discrimination? I, I don't. I could see that happening. I mean, I'm, I don't think. I mean, I don't think that's a leap. I just don't think that's a leap. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. We'll see. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. This uh, Just getting this one posted on uh, Twitter here via David Slotnick. New, uh, the Delta uh, CEO concedes the sky miles changes probably went too far and says that some of the modifications based on customer feedback will be announced in the coming weeks. We talked about that before in the story on this. It kind of made a lot of people mad, man. And so, uh, you know, that's not how you reward their most loyal customers. Let's put it that way. Absolutely yeah. not. Kind of relates to the other story we were talking about. Yeah, you got to treat your customers well. And <laughs> lifetime in, uh, nor- but God, I'm about to call them Northwest Delta. <laughs> <laughs> Northwest Delta. <laughs> over at yeah, Gold's Gym there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> over at Pan Am. I'll tell you what, they're all just great, aren't they? Uh, so there is one other story. Now I'm going to spend a good chunk of the second half hour of today's, this hour on climate change because there's an excellent as always there's an excellent story in the reformer about it but i wanted to bring this up because this is a story out of uh moorhead minnesota i think it's kvr vrr up there and it's about minnesota's new e-pull tab laws now i want to correct there there was a change now i'll be the first to say electronic pull tabs stunned stunned as successful as they've been when they announced they're going to use electronic pull tabs to pay for the viking stadium i was like or partially pay for the viking stadium i was like okay you're never going to make enough money off this and they've been wildly successful they made a change to them and i don't do them i do you do electronic pull tabs at all i have not no okay i don't do them so i don't know what this is about so apparently the electronic versions of it you used to have to kind of open up one row at a time and for a while, what they did was you could open up all at once. You know, you could do an electronic pull down and open all at once, you know, for speedier gambling. There was a lawsuit from the tribal casinos that basically said that was too much like their slot machines and that you couldn't do that. That if you wanted to do electronic pull tabs, you had to do one at a time. All right. I, you know, I, I can see what it is. I mean, I've been to Vegas. I've, I've, I, you can, when you look at a, a slot machine or something like that, you've got ones that are like that. You can do all the things. Yeah. I get that to a point. I get that. And apparently the courts did agree with them. And so there has been this effort to change the rules, not because Democrats decided they wanted to change the rules, but the courts have ruled that you have to change the rules. And I think you have to go back to the single pull tab. Right. Once again, don't do electronic pull tabs. So I'm just going on faith that this is what it is. And that's that's a story. I read up like three other stories on this story when I read this to try to get up to speed on what exactly is going on here. An advocacy group is speaking out against Minnesota's new e-pull tab laws, claiming it could result in the loss of millions of dollars in funding. Minnesota uh, Democratic Minnesota State Senator Rob uh, Kupek 
who's uh, that's uh, the, the Democrat that's uh, up there in uh, the Moorhead area, said there was a court decision that basically said the way e-pull tabs work right now can no longer happen. And that the way those work was the opening all at the same time. This opens all feature on the e-pull tabs, so it has to be taken away and go back to the way e-pull tabs used to be, which was one at a time. According to Protect Our Charities, politicians continue to falsely claim that electronic games played on iPads in veterans clubs and small businesses too closely resemble slot machines and casinos. I'll come back to that line here in a second. Executive Director Keith Frankie said, I think when this bill goes through, it's going to be devastating. It's going to be very harmful to charities, small businesses, and communities. I don't think the general public or even our local politicians have an idea. This has become such a revenue source for over 1,200 charities and 3,300 small businesses across the state. Mind you, we're talking about gambling, and with that comes addiction and gambling addiction. And frankly, this change that has to be made basically is for people who are if you have a gambling addiction, it becomes a much easier thing for you to gamble much more faster. Funds for the cherries are expected to be reduced by an estimated $33 million annually. Now, I don't know where that number comes from, if that comes from the, the organization Protector Charities or if that's actually just a, a neutral party evaluation. Frankie also said with the significant drop in revenue, we're going to see a loss of services. We're going to see a loss of funding. We're going to see a loss of jobs. We're going to see a loss of the ability of people to have things provided for them that the government doesn't do right. There's still a long way to go, but the group says they plan to keep on fighting. So uh, now, first of all, I want to say something when we brought up gambling and when I, and when, when this whole thing with the new Viking stadium and the e-pull tabs was brought out, I just said, one of the things that I have a problem with is using vice to fund things. It's very red state. I mean, it is very red state to basically, you know, liquor um, or or uh, gambling, uh, in some cases, prostitution, even um, legalized prostitution. They basically they they tax us and it's using vice to fund needed services. And I said back then, that's a real freaking slippery slope. You start going down that thing and then all of a sudden, anytime you need additional money, you get to a point where there's a slot machine in every bathroom. I mean, that's where you're eventually going to get to. And it seems to me that what we're hearing here is that indeed that these people have made a ton of money off of e-pull tabs, which once again, no one's more stunned than I am. But they pull, they're making a lot of money off of e-pull tabs and they want to keep it there. Now, here's the problem. And when, sometimes you have to wonder when, when people try to make things political. Because the you know it, 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 the, the question here is this this uh, the implication uh, reading this paragraph according to the Protect Our Children's politicians continue to falsely claim that electronic games played on iPads and veterans clubs and small businesses too closely resemble slot machines and casinos. No, they're not saying that. The courts have said this. The Casinos, the Native American casinos, basically brought this up. They said, this is too reminiscent of slot machines. You can't do this. And the courts have backed them up. Your implication that the politician, in this case, Minnesota State Senator Rob Kupek, um, is somehow responsible that he just decided one day that he was going to change this. No, the state has to change this. The state doesn't have any choice in it. The courts have basically said it's too much like a slot machine, you have to change it. 
And so you may not like this. It doesn't mean you still can't do e-pull tabs. It just is. And I want to be careful here because, once again, the, the entire argument is they need to be able to gamble as fast as they can, as quickly as they can, period. And that's the the argument that they're putting forward. And I don't know if that's necessarily – I understand your charities and you make money off this stuff, but, you know, it's I, – I mean, that's a double-edged sword if I ever saw one. I mean, be blunt. Anyway, it's not the politicians, although is this the next SRO argument? The politicians had changes. Oh, the Democrats, why did they do this? Well, the courts are ordering it to it. That's irrelevant. Real strength would be just to ignore the courts like they did in Alabama on the voting districts. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yes. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. And by the way, once again, on a quick little side note, Considering how poorly the white population has treated the Native Americans for hundreds of years, let them have their games. Why do you have to challenge this? Why do you always have to? You can't have sports betting unless it's in the the racetracks. No, let the Native American casinos have them. Just let them have them. It's the least we can do. And yet, sometimes, even when we have a court telling us we have to stop doing it, how dare we stop this? I just, I, I, yeah, yeah. 952-946-6205. We'll come back, talk to the environment a little bit when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt Mignell Show. I'm going to kill Stein, man. I'm going to kill him. Now people want a, a, a station t-shirt with my face on it. Ugh. Ah. <laughs> well, we gave them the ideas now. now. They want your face t-shirts. <laughs> Is that the new Hellraiser making? <laughs> Whoa, Jason took off his mask. Oh, yikes. It is Halloween season. We're getting there. Oh God, we'll have to we'll have to talk to someone about this. Would you actually buy one if we did a T-shirt? Would you actually buy one? Why? Can I say again? I ask you, why would you actually buy one? If we don't sell them, we'll just ship them, to Jeff. Because it just it will be it's it's such a meta thing. Me wearing my T-shirt. Could I even pull that off? It's like wearing the T-shirt of the band while you're at the concert. You don't do that. What are you doing? Stop it. Don't do that. That's no, don't, don't put it on. Don't go buy it and put it on for the show. No, don't do that. Show the day after you wear it the next day. Guess where I was? 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Thanks for that, Jeff. I, I that's going to be part of my Christmas gift to you. I guarantee you that. Um, the, the Well, actually, really quick, if I could mention this here. The principal of Roseville Area High School is seeking to reassure parents after two guns were uh, confiscated by from students in separate incidences this week. Yikes. Um, Dr. Jen Wilson sent in a message describing the two incidences, which reportedly took place Monday in the first. Uh, uh, in the first, the principal said the staff was working to de-escalate a conflict among a group of students when they were told one of those involved had a gun. Wilson said the student's bag was searched. The weapon was found and handed over to Roseville police. The student was detained by authorities. 
In the second incident, Wilson said staff was performing what they called a routine search after reports of a student was not following school rules. Multiple staffers responded. The incident reportedly moved outside the school and a gun was found and secured. It was the first incident the student was, as in the first incident, the student was detained by police. Should be noted, uh, really quick, I went and put, uh, checked this out. Uh, Roseville does not have SROs in it right now. They made the decision this year with the new rule changes to not have SROs. So somehow they managed to keep the kids safe and confiscate the crew guns without SROs in the school. I just want to make sure I point that out, considering that's an entire argument they're making is that there's no way a school could possibly be safe unless there's SROs in there. And that is the case that that school is safe. And uh, yeah, I imagine there's going to be more on that there. Uh, from Axios, uh, the past two summers in the Twin Cities was the, the, the past summer was the Twin Cities' fifth warmest on record. The average temperature was 74.7 degrees. Two daily record highs were broken or tied. Well, measurements began in 1873. You don't have to go far back to find the hottest summer on record. That was two years ago, 2021. The average temperatures hit 75.6. The odds of severity of extreme heat events are rapidly increasing as the climate warms in response to human emissions of greenhouse gases. This past summer featured the warmest June, July, and August on record globally. It was also the warmest on record for nearly 5% of the contiguous United States. Now, I say this because climate change is clearly an issue here. But yet, there has been this, I can't stand it when idiots try to be clever. I cannot stand it. And whether that's Pete Buttigieg uh, and his, when he was being questioned on Capitol Hill, or if it's, it's you know, people, there's a, a representative in Illinois who did this, and there's other people that have said this. They've got this new thing. It's like, climate change, well, where I'm from, it's called summer, winter, fall, and spring. <laughs> I got a zinger. Zinger. <laughs> Put you in your place. And as Buttigieg kind of just looks at him and says, well, sir, that's the seasons changing. That's not climate change. That's something else completely. I bring this up because this is the new thing. This is this uh, it, it's summer and winter. That's the climate change. And I want to point out, even with the undeniable evidence that climate change is wrecking us right now, the Republicans still, their default setting is climate change does not exist. So next year, when they all come running around going, hey, where did you ever get the idea Republicans don't think climate change is real? You, you guys keep insisting it's not actually happening when it is happening every day, which goes to then an article, uh, this is a commentary that was in the Minnesota Reformer. And once again, if you're not on the Minnesota Reformer, you're just wrong. It's just exceptional. The climate is always changing. So goes the popular refrain from climate deniers who continue to claim there's nothing special about this particular moment. There is no climate crisis, they say, because the earth has survived dramatic warming before. Republican president, by the way, if you know anything about the history of the planet, I don't know if that's necessarily your winning argument. If you, you know, you mean the time when all but 5% of the world's life was wiped out? Oh yeah, that was a, that was a dreamboat of a time. You know, you know <laughs> there's nothing left. Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy recently exemplified misconceptions about the planet's climate past when he inserted that carbon dioxide as a percentage of the atmosphere is still any relatively low through human history. He didn't just make a false statement. Carbon dioxide concentrates are the highest they've been in at least 4 million years. 
He's also showed fundamentally wrong thinking about the climate crisis. So I want to make sure we understand something. They'll say, carbon dioxide is that bad. They're outright lying. It's actually the worst it's been in four million years. What threatens us today isn't the particular concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere or the precise temperature of the planet, alarming as those two metrics are. Instead, it's the unprecedented rate in which we are increasing carbon pollution through fossil fuel burning and the resulting rate at which we're heating the planet. Considering the warming event that paleoclimatologists point to as the best natural comparison for the rapid greenhouse-driven trend we're seeing now. So these are people who have studied the history of climate on the planet, and they're saying they're they're bringing forth the most comparable thing they know of in the past to what's going on right now. The Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum happened 56 million years ago, roughly 10 million years after the demise of the dinosaurs, which itself was caused by climate change, a massive asteroid impact that, event that led to global dust storm and in turn rapid cooling. The PETM warming result was unusually large for a rapid injection of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere from volcanic eruptions in Iceland area. Global temperatures increased by approximately 10 degrees Fahrenheit in as little as 10,000 years, rising from the already steaming baseline of 80 degrees Fahrenheit, possibly up to a sauna-like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So basically... 10 million years after the dinosaurs, a bunch of volcanoes blew up in, vol in, in Iceland, covered the world with carbon dioxide, and it caused the Earth's heat to rise basically 10 degrees in 10,000 years. That warming rate of about one degree Fahrenheit per century is extremely rapid by geological standards. By the way, compared to what we're doing right now, it's 10 times slower than the warming of today. We are warming at basically one full degree per Fahrenheit and per, per century, and it is actually picking up speed at an incredible rate. So I want to make sure we understand. The last major global warming crisis was caused by volcanoes. It took 10,000 years for it to happen, raised the temperatures 10 years, and we're now doing that 10 times faster than they were doing and those rates are speeding up. That's not opinion. That's called science, you dim-bulbed morons. I mean, Republicans. The impact event of the Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum were ironically fortuitous for humans. They paved way for our ancestors, the extension of the dinosaurs, except the ancestors of birds, created a new niche for niche for early mammals and the stifling conditions of the Paleocene Eocene thermal maximum selected for small arboreal mammals, including the oldest primate identified clearly by fossil materials, a primitive lemur like creature named Drynormosaurus. Drynormosaurus. Okay. Phil. We'll call him Phil. I like Drynormosaurus. <laughs> Phil. The, the Phil, the ancient lemur. <laughs> Without evidence of these two events, our species would likely wouldn't have arrived at this moment in contrast to the current warming, which plenty of evidence shows is a threat to even our existence. Extinction followed another warming period uh, in our more recent past when the last ice age ended about 18,000 years ago. 
driven by Earth's changing orbit relative to the sun and boosted by a heightened greenhouse effect as warming oceans gave up their carbon dioxide in the same way an open bottle of warm soda loses carbonation. The planet warmed by about 10 degrees Fahrenheit over the subsequent 8,000 years. That rate of warming, which again was about 10 times slower than the warming today, was rapid enough to wipe out entire species. Gone were the magnificent woolly mammoths, the mastodons, giant ground sloths, saber-toothed cats, who had roamed the plains of North America, a combination of climate change and overhunting by Paleo-Americans did them in. Our societal infrastructure upon the more than 8 billion people now depend was built around a global climate that was stable for thousands of years. The viability of that infrastructure depends on our climate remaining close to as it was, or at least changing slowly enough to the rates of environmental change don't exceed our adaptive capabilities as a species and a civilization. What finished off the dinosaurs and the mastodons was a climate that shifted too rapidly away from where they were adapted to, in the first case cooling and in the other case warming, and that's our challenge today. Can our big brains save us this time? They can if we make proper use of them and learn the lessons offered by Earth's past. Paleoclimate data characterizing past episodes of national climate change, natural climate change, such as Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum and a peak of at least the last ice age, allow us to test the models that were we use to project future warming. Our models pass these tests, reproducing the paleo data from historic periods when uh, driven by estimated changes in greenhouse gases and sunlight through those periods. The paleo data, in turn, helps us refine the models. The end result is that we can trust these models to peer into our climate future. They tell us that we can avoid a catastrophic trajectory for our global climate if we reduce carbon emissions substantially over the next decade. So this fragile moment in which we find ourselves is, in fact, a critical juncture. As Carl Sagan said, we are at a crossroads in human history, Never before has there been a moment so simultaneously perilous and promising. The choice of peril and promise is ultimately still our own. Um, yeah, it's bad. I remember reading the book Six Degrees, which talked about what the planet would be like if it warmed up on average just one degree, and this was one degree Celsius over a period of time and what would happen. And as you can imagine, as it got further and further, it basically wiped out everything. The last, the last chapter is, is as bleak as it gets. We have had events happen in the history of the spin and rock, which have gotten, I think, what the, the greatest extinction event that ever happened the earth was at 4.5% warmer or 4.5 degrees Celsius warmer, 4.5 degrees Celsius warmer. Whenever you say this, the first thing that a Republican says is, so I'll wear a t-shirt. <laughs> I got another zinger. <laughs> and what you really don't realize is they're destroying the planet. In case you've missed the lead, there have been two national stories of people moving from California and other parts of the globe to Duluth because they feel as if generationally it will survive the climate change that is starting to grip everywhere right now. Duluth. 
People are moving up there. They already are saying to themselves, it's going to be so different than it was. We see it everywhere we look. Birch trees don't grow down in the Twin Cities anymore. They look like crap because, and we used to have birch trees everywhere. It's too warm. Heck, they're starting to look strained when you go into the northern part of Minnesota. You don't see moose. You don't see red foxes anymore. You don't see half the animals we used to have around here because they have to keep moving further freaking north. We have water tables that are disappearing, partially because it's drought, partially because we have farmers who keep draining off the damn water. We have half the freaking country on fire at any given damn time. We have hurricanes that basically scour the southeastern United States clean. We have, we have hurricanes now hitting California, for God's sakes. And all we have is a bunch of Republicans who keep sitting there and saying, climate change, that's summer, winter, August, and spring. <laughs> or autumn and spring. You get my point. I do not know. I've got three kids. I can already tell you right now, in 40 years, their lives, when their kids are, are, are you know, teenagers and, and, and going into college, I can't even imagine the world that they're going to be in. And we already know it. Republicans, we already know it. what's coming our way. When it becomes undeniable that the world is changing, you're going to come out there and say, you know... Some people want to play the blame game and point fingers. The people who say that are the people who are guilty of crimes against freaking humanity most of the time. Yeah, I'm going to call, I'm going to be pointing fingers and I'm going to be blaming people. And I'm going to look at you and maybe I'll knock on your doors one time when the earth is basically being torched around us and look at you to your face and saying, "You're an idiot because you should have known better." but the money from the coal and gas industry was more important than actually taking care of your fellow man. It's just beyond disturbing. It is beyond disturbing. And yet here's another study, which I guarantee you, as I read this study, which comes from an intelligent individual who is talking about historical standards. It's fall. <laughs> be funny. What do you mean it's going to be 85 degrees on Saturday in late September on October 1st in Minnesota? Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give you let you guys off the hook. I'm going to bury you with this stuff. Unfortunately. You seem to be willing to bury all of us. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. I remember the first time I heard about that that brain eating amoeba that's in water. You remember that that they they've this is something that people they were getting water skiers were getting it, and they'll hit the water and it was going straight up into their nasal cavity. And it ended up killing them because there's no cure for this. I have not heard of this, but it uh, doesn't make me want to go do that now. Well, it's not here, but okay. it's not here, but it might be here before too long. Oh, no. Because I remember when the first time I heard about this in Texas, 
that kid, there were kids in Texas that were starting to get this in the water. And they said, well, where did this come from? They said, well, usually it's only something you find in southern Mexico and in the Central American regions. Oh, okay. That should be your first warning. Now I thought I saw that there was a lake. Is it in Missouri that they actually had this in? It's moving. It's moving. And it can be, you know, it can survive only in areas as it gets warmer and it keeps getting warmer. And all of a sudden, these same people who are like, climate change myth, and all of a sudden you have an amoeba that usually lives near the freaking equator that's taking up residence in Texas. And all of a sudden on their lake, it's like, my property values are going down. You guys need to do everything in your science ability to save my property levels. I can't just raise them like Trump does. <laughs> Views of the amoeba, that gives you another 20 million right there. Views of the amoeba. Jesus. Don't give the guy any ideas. Well, he'll think that's, he's talking about Eric. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the amoeba. He's back again. He wants a hug. Get away from me, amoeba. <laughs> oh, God. This should scare you to death. This should terrify you. We are destroying this planet. And we're doing it with a smile on our face. Because I think that, that, that people, it's not like people are saying to themselves, oh, I'll just move to Canada. I'll just move into northern Canada. There's plenty of space in Alberta and Man Manitoba, but the northern parts there, you know, we'll just, we'll build a life up there. No, 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 no. First of all, I don't know if Canada's going to let you in. Second of all, um, they're not even thinking about that. They're, what they're saying is that somehow, some way, after years and year and year and year of things getting hotter, that somehow, some way, things are going to get cooler again, just overnight. And we're going to have a really cold year, and they're going to be like that. And it's gotten so pathetic that the right, basically, anytime it gets cold, not that it's, it, it could be still 10 degrees above average, but it's a colder day. They're like, see, it's cold now. It's, it's no problem. Like I said, there's no solution for these people until all of a sudden it's basically, it's undeniable. Everything is dying. They can't grow plants. They don't have water for their taps. You know, they've got strange, weird things trying to kill them. And every animal that used to live around there is no longer anywhere to be seen. And it's 110 degrees outside. And then, and only then will they say, maybe there is a little bit of a problem. But I just, until that time, whenever you hear a Republican say, Climate change, I, I don't know where you get the idea that climate change, I, I think climate change is a myth. Point to them because they're the ones that are still lying to all of us. Uh, Native Roots Radio is up next. We're back to tomorrow. Until then, see ya.